Thank you so much. Thank you for your invitation to be with you today. And uh, thank you for those here today who've helped me. I was very conscious when I was pastoring at Ringwood Community Church, uh, which I finished in, uh, in the second week of July, that we're always very dependent on a key group of volunteers to bring this live stream to our church members so that they might feel connected, uh, not only with God, but with one another. And so I appreciate the people who have helped me and are helping me with that today as well. And I'm sure you all, wherever you are, appreciate those who make the effort to come here on a weekly basis so that you can uh, have that connection with God and with one another. I know when I was pastoring at Ringwood, I always felt guilty because I was one of the few people that got to go to the actual church building every Sunday. And I was always very conscious that uh, people were missing out on something that I could enjoy, at least seeing a few people in church that day. So we look forward to the day when we're able to meet again, and no doubt you feel that way as well. I reacquainted myself this morning with the directory from the church here. Uh, it's good that you've got your photos there, and lot to see. good to see a lot of familiar faces that I know well, but also some new people. So um, a real privilege to be with you this morning. Good to hear from from uh, and from uh, Chris and uh, and also from Josh this morning as well and I think that the things that they've been sharing really feed into what I want to talk about today because in lots of ways I want to talk about our identity uh, as as people who are witnesses for Jesus Christ in the context of growing the kingdom of God and in the presentation today I've got a question for you but I actually want to start with that this morning If a church is committed to growing the kingdom of God, if a church wants to see God's kingdom extended, if a church is doing all of the things that a church does, but it's not really reaching people, it's not seeing people come to know Jesus Christ and discipled in Christ, where does the problem lay? Now that's a bit of a scary question to ask, but I think that the answers are in some ways quite simple but also complex. But I think a lot of it comes back to the question of identity. We've heard this morning from Josh about his experience of Christ and how Christ has changed him and is changing him. We've heard about Rahab and how she had her identity changed. My contention is that what we do as believers comes out of who we are. But before we do that, I want to go back and look at a couple of things. If we can have the presentation up now, that'd be great for us to do that. I want us to think about what it means to be Jesus in the world. Because that is, in fact, who we are. Now, um, at the outset, I want to say that sometimes we take too much responsibility on ourselves. And it's why we had that lovely reading this morning that I wanted to have. Because in, the, in that reading this morning, we have about how one plants, you know, one, one plants and another sows, but God gives the increase. The same principle applies uh, in Mark chapter 4 where we have the, the parable of the seeds and the soils. See, the growth of the kingdom is God's prerogative and God's responsibility. So really in a way when it comes to growing the kingdom of God, we ought to stress less about it because it's God's work that his kingdom grows. Sure, we, we plant, we sow, but God takes care of the increase. On the other hand, we may stress a bit more because as we read about in that passage in 1 Corinthians 3, really we work with God uh, in his mission as his instrument. So something does weigh upon us. 
God takes care of the growth, but it's our responsibility to be in planting, in sowing and watering. And that may make us feel a little bit more anxious about that. But I think the ultimate reason that we really stress is that we see witness, evangelism, reaching people. We see that as an obligation. Rather than seeing it as something that comes from who we are, who God has made us to be. Not many of us like a sense of weight and obligation as a motive for anything. I was talking to somebody recently who was talking about the restrictions that we've been under. And they said, I don't like doing anything that's mandatory. I don't like that sense of obligation. And I felt like saying to them, you mean like keeping to the left side of the road, giving way to the right? You don't like those? Anyway, that's another story, I guess. But sometimes as humans, we react to things that are obligatory. And I know I've sat for years in church and I've heard people say, you've got to win people, you've got to evangelize people, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to. And really, that has never helped me. It's never done anything in my heart because all I end up doing is feeling a weight of responsibility that perhaps I don't feel that I can really carry out. Now, it's my contention that everyone acts out of the sense of who they are. In Matthew 12, Jesus gives a little parable and he talks about, uh, he does a little comparison, you know, can a, can a good tree produce bad fruit? Can a bad tree produce good fruit? He says every person brings out of them what's stored up inside of them. So here we have this sense of identity, this sense of who we are informing what we do. And I think it's this that we need to really sort out most of all. Uh, here's a picture of Tracy. Tracy and her husband Jonathan uh, are involved in a leader church in East London uh, in South Africa. In 2008, Tracy had a baby dumped on her doorstep. Tracy was running a preschool out of her home and she became known as a person who liked children and somebody dumped a baby on her doorstep. What would you do if somebody did that at your house? Find somebody to care for it? Hand it over to the authorities. What do you do? Tracy took that child in. And Tracy's been taking children in, abandoned children into her house ever since. So much so that they've had to put um, buildings on site made out of shipping containers to care for children. And since 2008, Tracy and her team have cared for more than 240 children and found many of them adoptive homes. There's been a whole restorative process that's gone on in that. But why did Tracy do that? That's my question. Well, yes, she did it out of compassion, but she did it out of who she understood God made her to be. You see, not everybody would respond as Tracy did. But she responded out of an understanding of God's character in her, God's calling on her life and her commitment to follow that. In a few weeks' time, you'll hear from Joshua. Joshua is a pastor in Rwanda. He's supported by this church. In 2012, Joshua left his good job in an NGO that was well paid to go and be the voluntary pastor of a small church, what was a small church, in a very poor community about 45 minutes from the centre of Kigali City. So why does a man 
leave his well-paid job, rely on his wife's income to go lead the church. It's because of an understanding of who he is. It's because he understands that in his identity, God has made him to do that. And so he gives up what he has for the sake of what he believes God has for him to do. Just two examples. Maybe you can think about other things, things in your own life. So who are we? And we could spend a whole message talking about who we are. And here's just a little snapshot of some things that I thought about when I asked the question, who we are, who are we? Well, we're all created by God. God loves us all. Christ died for us all. And when we come to Christ, God fills us with his spirit. We become God's child. We're made to be holy in God's sight. And we undergo a process of transformation for the rest of our lives. As a 64-year-old who came to Christ when he was 18, one of the things that I'm understanding more and more is that God has not finished with me yet. There's more for God to work in my heart and my life. And I understand that will go on forever until I'm with Christ, which is far better. That when I see him face to face, then I'll be like him, for I shall see him as he is. But it's a process that every believer goes on. I'm equipped. God gives me spiritual gifts. God gives me abilities. The same is true of you. And I am a witness. That's something that's not often bundled into the, into the issue of who we are. Uh, in my experience, people don't often raise that as an issue. But you see, I think that witness is just not something that we do. Witness is who we are. We are witnesses. Yes, we witness, but it's because we are witnesses. You see, everybody who comes to Christ, who meets Jesus, has an identity change. I think of the story that was of the man who was born blind. And Jesus heals him. And the, the, the Pharisees and teachers of the law are not happy that Jesus has done this. And they want to get some dirt on Jesus. And so they come and ask him, who is, who, who is that guy? And he says, I don't know. And then they come back to him and they say, well, look, is he a sinner or isn't he a sinner? And really basically what he says, let me paraphrase paraphrase Uh, i don't understand theology don't know if he's a sinner or not however there's one thing i'm very clear on once i couldn't see but now i can you see he became a witness he was changed and became a witness to what jesus christ did in his life i think similarly of the samaritan woman in john chapter 4 Jesus has this encounter with a woman and and in the context talks with her at the well about uh, life-giving water which he alone could give. And she was keen to push him down the road of talking about theology again. And you know, which, which is the place that we ought to worship, where the Samaritans say or what the Jews say? And Jesus says to her, woman, believe a time is coming uh, when you worship in neither of those places because God seeks people who worship him in spirit and in truth. And he introduces himself to her as the Messiah. Very uncomfortable conversation about her current living circumstance and her marital or moral history. What does she do with that? 
There's transformation that takes place in her life and she goes back to her place and says to the people who may not have had a good view of her, he told me everything I ever did. And we read in that story that the people believed because of her testimony. She had her identity changed. One of my favorite stories as a short person in the New Testament, as a short person that we read about in the New Testament is the story of Zacchaeus. Hope for the short people. You know, um, Zacchaeus couldn't see Jesus, so he climbs a tree. He was not thought of well in his community because as a tax collector, uh, he was not only collaborating with the Romans, but he was ripping people off in the process, taking a cut for himself. And he comes, Jesus comes into his house and has fellowship with him. And in that time, Zacchaeus experiences heart and life change. He experiences the acceptance of Jesus. We don't know all of the things that Jesus said to him, but we know that it was transformative because he says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Wow. He had his bank balance transformed. Not in his favor. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. I, I can I can just imagine Zacchaeus going to the people and paying them back and they say, Zacchaeus, why are you doing this? What's going on here? And him saying, I met Jesus and he changed my life. Not just in my head, but in the way that I act towards people and I must do this for you as an expression of that. You know, the same is true for us. When we meet Jesus Christ, he changes our identity. And one of the things that he does for us is that he makes us his witnesses. When I was pastoring at Warrandyke Community Church years ago now, one of the things that I used to like to pray with the staff uh, in the morning was, Lord... Help us to realize that we are your agents today. Help us to realize that we're about your business today. And every encounter that we have is one that you're in. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 and 27, Now you are the body of Christ. You are the body of Christ. And each one of you is part of it. Did you realize that if you belong to Jesus Christ, that you are the body of Christ? You know, we think of the body of Christ together, the church meeting together, and that's true. But the body of Christ is wherever you go. Because you represent Jesus wherever you go. You are Jesus wherever you go. You are the body of Christ. You are the embodiment of Christ in the world. Wow, what a privilege. What a responsibility. And I know how often I get that wrong, but actually that's who I am. I am the body of Christ in the world. And, and if people know that I belong to Jesus Christ, they see Jesus Christ in terms of the way that I express it with them. What a privilege. What a responsibility. Paul puts it this way. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal 
through us. We represent Christ. And God makes his appeal to the world on behalf of Jesus Christ through what we do and what we say. Peter put it this way. He said, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You know, as a person who is saved as an 18-year-old into a brethren kind of context, I heard this verse often on a Sunday morning in worship. And it was always applied to the, the worship of the church. You know, God has called us to declare his praises. So let's be here to praise. Not that I saw raised hands very much, I must say. But, you know, when Peter speaks about this, he's not talking about praising God in the church. He's talking about bringing praise to God in what we do and what we say and how we act in the world. So we are his priests in the world, declaring to the world the goodness of God. So if, if, I, if I know who I am, if I know that I'm Jesus in the world, what, what implication does that have for me? Well, if I know that I'm Jesus in the world, I will see and value people the way that God sees them. You know, in Matthew 22, Jesus says that the second commandment is like the first one. You know, he's asked what the most important commandment was, and he said it's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And he says second is like it, to love your neighbour as yourself. So really... If I'm going to be, if I'm Jesus in the world, I will see people the way that God sees them, that God values them. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 16, he said, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ this way, but we don't do that any longer. It's very important that we don't see people as the world sees them. And sadly, often in church we do that. We see people in terms of their status or lack of it. We've had about famous people today. Did you feel guilty that you hadn't met anybody famous? That's the way that the world functions. You know, I can say, oh, I met the queen. I'm better than you. That's a load of rubbish. I'm not better than anybody. I just happen to be in a fortunate position where that happened to me. We see people in terms of what they have and what they don't have. We see people in terms of what they've done and what they haven't done. God doesn't see anybody that way. God sees people through the eyes of love. He sees them through the eyes of Jesus Christ. He sees them through the eyes of what's possible in their lives. And that's the way that I should be seeing people as well. I hate it when I hear Christian people say somebody's hopeless or a no-hoper or a write-off. That's not how God sees anybody. If God had seen people that way, I wouldn't be here today. If God had seen people that way, there'd be no Apostle Paul. There'd be no Peter. I mean, the Apostle Peter. But But God sees people that way, and we should see people in the same way. What are people like? You know, I think that everybody's looking for meaning. 
There's not a human person who isn't looking for meaning. And we see that in the, in the great expression of all of the, the religions of the world. We see it in philosophy. We see it in people's hopes in education or economics it's all, or politics. It's all about meaning. But people are lost. People are looking, but they're not finding. In fact, the Bible tells us that once you know, we were lost without hope, without God in the world. And that's where many people are. And increasingly that's true in our society, but they don't know it. Nor do they know that they're loved. And I think that every day when I go out, I should really be reminding myself, look, I'm going to be with people who are looking for meaning, but they're lost, but God loves them still. And my job is to love them, to see them the way that God sees them and treat them the way that God would treat them. And that will mean that I respond to their practical needs. You know, we had in Matthew 22 about loving your neighbor as yourself. In 1 John 3, John talks there about how is it possible to say that we um, have loved God that we haven't seen, that we love God that we haven't seen, if we don't love the people that we do see. And he's talking about responding to practical needs. Now, sometimes I hear Christians who focus all on the practical needs, some who focus all on the spiritual needs. It's not meant to be one or the other. It's meant to be both. But I'm sure that often people are not going to listen to what we have to say about their spiritual need if we're not willing to respond in some way to their practical need. You know, when I started Helps Ministry in 2000, uh, end of 2009, beginning of 2010, I thought I was just going to be training people. That's what I wanted to do. But when I went to train people, I found there were people who were going to have their children who were going to die because they couldn't get some basic medical education, medical care. I found people who I was training who didn't have Bibles, people who I was training who didn't have education. There, there were practical needs that they had to be dealt with before ever any of these other things could be useful to them. And that's often it is the way that it is with the people that we're working with. They have practical needs that we ought to be responding to. But also they have spiritual needs. You know, they're, they're looking for meaning. They're lost. They're loved. I think of, of Andrew who goes and finds his brother. Come, see. I think of the woman at the well who, who goes and tell people what Jesus Christ has done in her life, what he's revealed to us. I think of that blind man. Think of Zacchaeus. You know, in Acts chapter 4, we're told there the disciples said, we can't help but speak or teach about the things that we've heard and seen. They responded to the spiritual needs that were around them by conveying the message about Jesus Christ. And so this responding to, to practical need and spiritual need, I believe, go hand in hand. So we come back to that question that I asked at the beginning. If churches aren't being successful in seeing new converts and making disciples, what's the problem? And here are here are kind of my answers, and I don't want to go through my answers today. These were the things that I considered. You'll have your own list. I, I would like you to think about that during the week. And if you have the opportunity to discuss with somebody else, to do that. I've really only tackled the first thing this week, which is Christians not really seeing themselves as witnesses. 
Though we have touched on the idea that some people don't really believe that Jesus are lost without Jesus. By that I mean, in, in practice what I find is that even good, what I would call evangelical Christians, sometimes go find it hard to believe that somebody, a good person, is lost. But they were the things that I came up with. You'll have your own list. But for today, I thought I should deal primarily with the issue of identity. Next week, we'll expand into some of these other areas as we go into part two. But I want to conclude today by telling you a story. Lovely young couple here, Margot and Sarosh. Margot were married in at the end of February this year. Uh, Sarosh was a, a newcomer to our church. When I say newcomer, two or three years. Excuse me, I just need to have a little glass of water here. Should you just bear with me for a moment? I think it's better for me and and for you that I take that pause. Uh, Sarosh had been in our church for a couple of years. Margot had been long-term at our church, a family, a missionary family who worked with Wycliffe. Lovely couple. Got married at the end of February, full of hopes, dreams and expectations, as you might imagine. Uh, we, we liked getting to know Sarosh, but everybody really loved Margot. And people loved Margot because she was a person who I think understood who she was in Jesus Christ, uh, who really loved people, who cared for them, who cared for them enough to do things for them, who cared for them enough to share Christ's love with them, who prayed for people, and who shared her life with people. A delight, uh, an honour to know somebody like Margot. In early June... Sarosh and Margot went away for a week and uh, on the way back home driving along Warrandyte Kangaroo Ground Road a four-wheel drive crossed onto the wrong side of the road. Sarosh was badly injured. Margot was killed. It was a great shock to, to all of us. A great tragedy from our point of view to see somebody on the cusp of life and all that was ahead and all that she had to offer to be cut down in her prime like that. One of the things that her family did, because uh, Margot ended up in a job which suited who she was, she was a palliative care nurse. That perhaps tells you the kind of person that she was. And her family decided, in consultation with the Austin Hospital, that they'd put a, a memorial garden to Margot in the palliative care unit where she worked. Uh, the hospital told us that in the end they had enough money for several palliative care gardens. There was over $20,000 given for that project. So my question is, why was that given? And the answer is, it was given because people saw who Margot was. It wasn't given just by church people. It was given by colleagues and people in lots of places. She had a very wide range of contacts, friends inside the church and outside the church. I believe that people responded out of their grief to the love of Christ, which they had experienced through Margot. So where did that come from in Margot? It came from her understanding of who she was. 
she acted out of who she was. And because she knew that she wasn't just to witness, but that she was a witness. She loved people. She cared for them. She prayed for them. And she shared with them. And for me, as a person who loved her and appreciated her, her example speaks to me powerfully about who I should be in my identity in Jesus Christ. I'd like to pray for us all that we get that identity issue sorted out so that we know who we are in Christ and then we act out of that in this area of our lives. So we don't need to stress about doing witness so that we will naturally be a witness wherever we are. Dear Lord, we thank you so much that you came to show us who God is and that you came to tell us about how we could know God for ourselves. We thank you that you have placed your spirit in the life of everyone who believes. We thank you that you have accepted us unconditionally in yourself. We pray every day as we go about our everyday life and particularly as more freedom comes to our movement and more freedom to have face-to-face relationship, that we may be very aware that we are you in the world, that we may understand who you have created us to be. And out of us will flow the love of Christ to everyone that we meet, that we may be the real fragrance of Jesus Christ to people, even as Zacchaeus became, even as the blind man became, even as the woman at the well became, as Tracy is, as Joshua is, as Margot was. Lord, would you help us to walk in the kind of steps that they walked in so that as we live our lives, the love of Christ flows from us to others in ways that are just so natural as we love people, as we care for them, as we pray for them, as we share with them. Lord, would you help us in that every day? We thank you so much, Lord, that in giving us your spirit, you've given us a new identity, but also you've given us capacity. And we pray that we may walk in the reality of that every day. We pray, Lord, for our government today as they announce new regulations. We pray for wisdom for them. We pray for our society that we'll be able to walk together as we've walked through these difficult days into the new future that you have for us. And we pray that you'd help those of us who are your people to be salt and light in the world to which you've called us. And we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the Lord bless you richly.